Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. In this episode, we're zeroing in on the future of continuing care retirement communities, also known as life plan communities. Our guests are Mark Erickson, Executive Director and CEO of Summit Vista, the first life plan community to open in Utah, and Sean Kelly, President and CEO of the Kendall Corporation. Before we get to those interviews, we'd like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. Are you looking to streamline your workflows for service delivery and documentation? Visit www.pointclickcare.com to see how Point Click Care's new mobile app, Companion, can provide you with simplified services and medication delivery in the palm of your hand. The last few years have been a boom time for CCRCs, with a strong economy allowing seniors to sell their homes and make the move into these full continuum communities. But there are also questions swirling around the future of CCRCs. Because they offer the full continuum of care and often house a large number of residents, they're well positioned to partner with health systems and payers to help manage population health. But what will it take to strike productive partnerships across the healthcare spectrum? What's the future of skilled nursing in CCRCs given payment and regulatory challenges? And how can CCRCs adapt to meet boomers' desires, such as for more intergenerational living? Our guests today are leading the way in creating the CCRC of the future. Mark Erickson came up in the industry as the son of John C. Erickson, founder of CCRC provider Erickson Retirement Communities, now called Erickson Living. Today, Mark Erickson is leading an innovative life plan community near Salt Lake City in Taylorsville, Utah, which has struck a partnership with locally-based health system Intermountain. And Sean Kelly is at the helm of Kennett Square, Pennsylvania-based Kendall, which has a portfolio of a dozen affiliated life plan communities in operation and a home care business. Among other initiatives, Kendall is driving the future of the CCRC model through its involvement in a $300 million community under development in California in partnership with the San Francisco Zen Center. To kick things off, here's my interview with Summit Vista CEO, Mark Erickson. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Tim, thanks for having me. So I'd like to start with hearing a little bit of your personal backstory and the story behind Summit Vista. So your father, John Erickson, started Erickson Retirement Communities. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he was scouting the site in Utah as Erickson Retirement was expanding prior to the Great Recession. And then that financial crisis hit. The company eventually filed for bankruptcy. So I'm wondering how this project got a second life and where your involvement came in and why you decided to uh, take the helm. Uh, yeah, so you are correct. We were looking at this in uh, about 2005. We first identified this property. But as you know, as we hit the recession in 2008, we wound down uh, construction and a new development. I ended up moving to Shanghai, China to start a senior living business over there. And after a couple of years, was looking for a place to come back in the U.S. I'm a big fan of these large-scale communities. And you are correct. My dad did some of the initial legwork on this project, contacted the city council, the planning commission, and they were still supportive. And so once we got it entitled and under contract and got the investment lined up, uh, decided to move back here and start this. Got it. So some of this uh, has attracted attention for a couple of reasons, I think. One being that it's Utah's first life planning community, but also you've been working to partner with Intermountain Health, which is a health system I believe it has something like 22 hospitals, 180 clinics, plus a Medicare Advantage plan. So 
when you first started talking with Intermountain, I'm wondering if you can describe how you envisioned the health system and some of VISTA working together. What were some of the top goals that you had? Sure. So during our time at Ericsson, we developed a pretty sophisticated um, healthcare system and saw the benefits of that and wanted to figure out how to replicate those capabilities as we started here. But building it ourselves uh, was very complicated, costly, um, and complex. And so we reached out to Intermountain, who's one of the leading providers, and painted our vision sort of at the core of the healthcare system is a primary care, you know, coordinated, comprehensive, integrated care. And there were a couple components that I specifically wanted related to that. I wanted actually an on-site primary care clinic. I wanted a doctor that was uh, dedicated to Summit Vista. I wanted appointment times that gave residents uh, adequate time with their primary care physician, not the 10 or 12 minutes that Medicare pays. And I wanted access, so same-day appointments as people needed to see doctors. And then the final component is I was looking for, you know, a healthcare system that was an integrated payer provider because of the alignment of incentives. Got it. So as you've worked with Intermountain over time, and I guess it would be helpful here just to get the timeline of when you started discussions with Intermountain and when some of this opened and where you are today, So maybe we can start with that information. And then I'm just wondering, uh, given all those goals you had at the beginning, how things kind of developed over time and and how did the collaboration change? Sure. So we opened our sales and marketing center in January 2016. We broke ground in July 2017. And we opened our first residential building and clubhouse in October 2018. We started talking to Intermountain in the first quarter of 2016 uh, when we were open. And it took a while to figure out a relationship or a collaboration that worked. And I told you some of the things I was looking for, but we had to work within the constraints of the Intermountain system. And so, you know, one of the things that they said is we can't justify a primary care clinic, you know, for a hundred residential units for your first building. It just doesn't pencil out. And so they said, rather than use a primary care clinic on site, we've got a clinic that's uh, 1.2 miles away. And let's start off by using that. The second they said is, you know, we can't have a single dedicated doctor to Summit Vista just because you don't have the uh, patient caseloads that would justify that. So let's use our existing providers and go from there. And they also said, listen, we can't treat your residents different than our other patients. So we cannot guarantee 20 or 30 minute appointments with a doctor. But what we can guarantee is that when you see your consistent primary care provider, that could be a physician, it could be an advanced practice clinician, such as a nurse practitioner, we will make sure people have the time that they need with their provider and the access when they need to see the provider. So we had to compromise based on what we wanted to what uh, the constraints were that we were working with. And so uh, I'm curious now today that some of this is up and running, if you can describe what you think some of the most important components of the partnership are with Intermountain and then looking to the future, how you anticipate it growing or changing. Well, one of the exciting things is Intermountain is a very progressive, innovative healthcare system. And many of the things that we had on our wish list 
two years ago, uh, they have begun to adopt in their primary care model. And they have a very interesting innovation that they call reimagining primary care that meets a lot of what our goals were. So they have recently moved uh, some of their doctors from fee-for-service environments to salaried environments. They've created care teams around those doctors. So they have a dedicated advanced practice clinician. They've got a community health worker. And it gives them more flexibility in terms of managing their patients, more same-day visits than they were doing under the fee-for-service environment. So it's been interesting to watch them migrate into uh, a model that is ultimately more effective for you know, uh, managing the care and healthcare of seniors. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that I'm curious about your thoughts on this, but it seems to be a trend we're seeing that health systems are evolving away from such a strict focus on hospital care to really move out into the community and be able to provide more of a comprehensive wraparound wellness package, and especially for health systems like Intermountain that also have an insurance plan, that sort of population health model really seems to be incentivized by um, keeping costs down among their beneficiary population. So for those reasons, I think we're seeing increasing integration between senior living and health systems. Of course, there was Welltower and ProMedica having their JV involving the former Manicare portfolio. And then we just saw Baptist Health in Florida has a development JV with Belmont Village. So I guess I'm just wondering, would you say it's true that more health systems are realizing that some of their high-cost patients are in senior living and that they have uh, reasons to collaborate more closely with providers like Summit Vista? I do think that's true. Obviously, you're seeing the more integrated payments, capitation, payment based upon outcomes. And I do think that a number of health systems are looking at their high-cost patients and realizing that many of them are in senior living. And so, you know, partnerships with senior living communities can help them manage those high-cost patients. However, I think there's another side that some of the most progressive healthcare systems uh, look at it differently, and they say it's not just about the high-cost patients, but how do we get even out in front of this to where people are living healthier? And that's what really excited me about Intermountain's perspective is, yes, let's manage the high cost and the chronic conditions, but what we're realizing is that lifestyle and social determinants might have a much bigger impact in terms of healthcare outcomes than does traditional, you know, healthcare and treating a patient. And so I think, you know, the most progressive are saying, how can we partner with communities that not only manage the high cost, but keep, you know, independent, healthy people healthy because of the lifestyle choices that they're making? Got it. So if a senior living provider is interested in working more closely with local health systems, what should they know? What do they need in order to partner up? For instance, I think you've said that coordinating with a health system requires more than having a nurse or social worker on staff to act as a liaison. You really need what I think you were just alluding to, this more comprehensive approach. Uh, Sure. I think in terms of establishing a partnership, it really requires someone who understands healthcare systems, reimbursement, public policy, and is able to create a 
partnership that aligns with the goal of the healthcare system. So, you know, a hospital, a standalone hospital is going to have a very different perspective and approach than is an integrated healthcare system that provides primary care as well as ancillary services. And they're going to have a very different approach from a health system that has an integrated payer arm as well. And so I think it takes a degree of sophistication to be able to identify the goals and the money in a healthcare system to be able to effectively structure that partnership. Got it. So I guess, can you describe the overall vision for some of this event? I think we've been really focused on the coordination with Intermountain uh, as a component of it. But as you just said, it requires a certain amount of sophistication and understanding the health system's needs. But then I think also a certain amount of sophistication in being able to operate community in order to be a good partner. So I guess just to start with the basics, if you can sort of describe some of VISTA and some of the highlights that, that you would pick out in terms of what maybe separates it from the other senior living competition in the market or from other life plan communities around the country even. Sure. So Summit Vista is Utah's first entry deposit life plan community. And so that creates a differentiation in itself. The eventual size and scale of 100 acres, uh, 1,600 independent living apartment homes, three clubhouses, you know, allows us to provide a breadth of services that can't be done at a smaller community. And the, so those are some of the differentiators here in Utah. Some of the most exciting things that we've seen in terms of attracting a younger demographic are being talked about in the community, but we've successfully implemented. So culinary arts is probably you know the biggest component and driver of resident satisfaction, as we know. And this younger demographic wants greater choice. Um, choice in venues, choice in menus, choice in restaurant times. So that's been a big component. Launching with a full cook-to-order model as opposed to an institutional model has been uh, a real attraction for our younger demographic. And then another interesting and new one for us is we launched with a declining balance offering as opposed to, you know, a typical meal of the day. And, you know, our customers have consistently told us they want choice and flexibility, and that declining balance provides more of both and has proved, uh, been proven you know, very successful. And then, of course, you know, the other ones that we're seeing are you know, larger fitness centers, greater focus on you know, the wellness and you know, a full 25-yard short course swimming pool. It's the largest pool that I've ever built. And so you know, those are some of the components that we're seeing uh, the younger demographic want. And are you succeeding in kind of winning over a younger resident? Are you tracking kind of the average age of occupants? We are. Our average age is about 74 and a half, and that's both for people who've moved in as well as uh, people on our priority deposit lists and people who've reserved apartment homes. So it's been interesting to see this younger demographic and, you know, how it's, uh, their desires change from maybe the silent generation. Yeah, that's that's great. So uh, given all this, can you talk about maybe what's next for Summit Vista? Um, are you planning to expand uh, both on this campus and then are you thinking about taking this model to other locations in the state or elsewhere? 
Uh, sure. So, you know, this is a, probably a seven to 10 year project as we build this campus out over time. So I think in Utah, we've got our work cut out for us. Once we complete this, uh, we believe that there could be an opportunity for another community, you know, on the north end of Salt Lake and or the south end of Salt Lake. But uh, we're going to stay focused on Summit Vista for the foreseeable future here in Utah. However, we are looking at other markets across the U.S. for these larger scale life plan communities. Uh, we were able to test market about a year ago in one of the markets and it proved very successful. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to be able to capitalize a company that can go out and build multiple large scale life plan communities in different markets across the U.S. as opposed to just project level financing. It would give us uh, more flexibility and greater speed to market if we're able to capitalize a company that can build multiple of these. And what is the structure at Summit Vista? Is LCS involved in that? I thought I saw somewhere that they were or once were. Yes. So we've got sort of three investors and one of which is a publicly traded real estate investment trust. And consequently, we needed uh, a management company as part of the structure to make it uh, a REIT compliant asset for tax reasons. So that was one reason we wanted a management company. Now, why did we choose LCS is another. Uh, we did talk to multiple management companies when we were looking at who we wanted to work with. And LCS is one of the biggest and one of the best in the industry. And so having them as a partner in this project has been fantastic. And then, you know, the other thing is they were flexible in what the relationship looked like. I needed a non-traditional management relationship. We were doing the design of the community. We we're doing the sales and marketing. I'm on site every day as part of the operations. And so I needed a management company that gave us the flexibility to control the things we wanted, but still brought a ton of resource to the table. And they do with their information systems, finance, HR, their policies and procedures, their compliance, their training. And so it's been maybe a non-traditional relationship, but they have been an excellent partner to work with. And so then moving forward, as you're thinking about capitalizing a company to be able to expand elsewhere, would it be the same REIT? I don't know if you can name the REIT and LCS, or is that kind of in flux as to what that group would look like that, that uh, expands? Sure. Our, our current equity investors are three. It's iStar Real Estate Investment Trust, Solomir Private Equity uh, Company, and then a local developer here, Gardner Company. They've been the Summit Vista equity investors, and we would love to grow with them to capitalize um, a company. You know, I'll tell you, it's hard. This is uh, you know, a product that's fairly unique, and so it takes a special type of investor with a longer-term appetite to say that they want to build these three or $400 million projects. And you know, the current capital markets don't really know how to think about that. So we are looking for additional partners, but we would love to continue with our three equity partners here as well to be part of a future you know, capital structure at a company level. Great. And I guess I should say another reason why I think some of Vista has attracted so much attention is because I think we've seen the market has been good for CCRCs and life plan communities as the economy has been booming, but there's actually been relatively little new ground up development of this product type. So obviously this is an exception to that. And I guess going forward, as you think about developing the product, obviously the capital requirements are pretty intense. Also, I imagine finding sites that are sort of have enough land 
uh, would be another challenge. Is that true? And or would you also be looking at doing maybe a smaller model? We're seeing some kind of more adapted versions of traditional CCRCs moving into urban areas in high rises or in mixed use communities, things like that. Yeah, you're exactly right. Trying to find, you know, 100 acres in these tier one cities that are undeveloped um, is a real challenge. Now, there's still some sites out there and we've uh, got a couple we have our eye on, but a strategic direction would be to develop a smaller scale secondary market product that would expand the option to bring this to more cities. And we are looking at that and think that that could uh, definitely be a way moving forward to you know, increase access, provide a same level of lifestyle, but maybe not need to do it in these tier one cities. Great. And one other thing I wanted to bring up and ask you to elaborate on a little bit is how you're approaching uh, developing an operating model that is very responsive to the residents who are living at Summit Vista. This is something we've spoken about in the past, just the extent to which it sounds like you are in conversation with the resident base on everything from, you know, choosing chairs on up um, and also trying to find a balance between providing a secure environment and one that uh, really emphasizes their independence. Uh, So I wonder if you can maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah, that's right. So we started even a year before we opened, before we broke ground with committees of residents who were going to be moving into the first building. And so we had a culinary committee that helped do everything from design our menus to test the silverware and the plates to the chairs. And so they've been really helpful in getting the voice of the customer. We continue with those committees, obviously the regular town halls, uh, the residents advisory councils, those are all you know, great uh, sources of uh, feedback from our residents. But I'll tell you another component is, you know, we've learned that we don't have to do everything ourselves. And particularly as a startup, the ability to partner with various organizations, I mean, Intermountain being a great example, but in other areas has allowed us to add services and amenities that would have been tough to build from scratch day one. And so another partnership that we're excited about is the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. We launched our first five Osher classes uh, last month, and we are now a satellite campus for or Osher in Salt Lake City. And so, you know, rather than reinvite the wheels, let's listen to what our residents want. Let's go out and find folks who are doing this and are good at it and say, hey, can we work together to be very responsive in a quick time frame and provide services that our residents uh, say that they want? Right. So to close, I want to sort of zoom out and ask you to reflect a little bit on your career in senior living up to this point. I think you've been in and around senior living pretty much your whole life and uh, have a knowledge of both the U.S. market and you spent time in China. So um, uh, maybe we can start in China. And I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your time there, what you were doing and what you learned from that experience. Yeah, China was a fascinating opportunity to move over with three of us and start a senior living business over there. Obviously, the demographics would say that the market is enormous. The reality is that it's a hard place. It can be a challenging place to do business. And so it was a a great experience personally and professionally to get a chance to go build a business and start from scratch. 
and prove that the model worked. You know, a lot of folks said culturally it wasn't going to fit. And the reality is there's a huge demand and a huge need over there, but it's a very nascent industry. And, you know, education and making people aware of this as an option is a big first step. You know, I'd also say it's not to be taken lightly. You know, I've watched a couple different operators think about entering the market. And, you know, my experience would say that if you're going to do it, you've got to do it with both feet, that there's no substitute for being on the ground, uh, particularly if you're responsible for the operations every day with your employees and your residents. And I think that if you want to make money and get the attention of some of the larger you know, players or potential partners over there, not only human resources, but being willing to put some skin in the game is an important component of being viewed as a credible uh, partner if you wanted to really enter the China market. Got it. So you've seen good times. You've gone through difficult times in the industry. I think you've seen a lot of different operating models, ownership structures, et cetera. I'm wondering, as you are embarking on this next chapter with Summit Vista, can you talk through some of the most important lessons you think you've learned in your career? Or if you're thinking about senior housing differently today than you were, say, 10 years ago or 15 years ago? Yeah, so there's some things that have clearly evolved. There's other that are just reinforced the more time I spend. You know, I think we say that this is a people business and the more time you operate in this industry, the more true you realize it is. And clearly from an employee perspective, you know, people can think it's a real estate business, but it's all about having great people. And so how do you create that culture, attract, develop, retain those um, fantastic employees, you know, is absolutely critical. And then, you know, from a resident side, you know, I remember when I moved to China and I was scared about how to do it. I remember one of the things my dad said is listen to your customers and they'll tell you everything you need to know. And so, you know, the more we can incorporate, you know, our customers input, uh, both on daily operations as well as design, the better product that we get. You know, the other thing is, I think there's an opportunity for a product category that's somewhere in between the active 55 and, you know, current CCRC design or assisted living. And I think we're seeing that in the younger demographic here. It was kind of unique because there was no existing life plan community or CCRC. We kind of got to define a new product category. But the question is, if you move to another market uh, that had CCRCs or life plan communities, can you replicate the product to where you are attracting, you know, a customer at that, you know, 74 average age? And so that's one that I'm really excited about testing. Great. Well, this was a really interesting conversation. I'm uh, really grateful that you joined us for the podcast. Well, Tim, thank you very much. I'd like to again thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care, and remind you that if you're looking to streamline your workflows for service delivery and documentation, visit www.pointclickcare.com to see how Point Click Care's new mobile app, Companion, can provide you with simplified services and medication delivery in the palm of your hand. All right, in the next half of today's episode, you're going to hear from Kendall Corporation CEO Sean Kelly. And I'm joined here by my colleague Chuck Sudo, who interviewed Sean. So, Chuck, I talked to Mark Erickson about the partnership between Summit Vista and Intermountain Health. 
And I know you spoke with Sean about the potential for more CCRC health system partnerships as well. And, you know, I think we often talk about population health as a goal of healthcare providers and senior living providers because the overall U.S. healthcare payment system has shifted to reward them for keeping people well and out of high cost settings. And I think that one thing we really shouldn't lose sight of is that this effort should also improve the resident experience within CCRCs, uh, which I think is something that Sean addressed. Is that, is that right? Well, that's absolutely right, Tim. Over the past three years, Kendall and affiliates have renewed their commitment to wellness. Kendall's corporate office last year launched a wellness program called Vitalize 360. Now, it's a joint venture with Hebrew Senior Life, which is a Harvard lab partner, and that's been adopted across all its affiliates, Vitalize 360 ads. It's an art and science-based coaching and assessment program that creates a total wellness program specifically tailored to residents' needs and preferences, and it uses assessments and benchmarks to measure the improvements in residents' performance. Now, the goal with Vitalize 360 is to help Kendall residents stay independent longer, as well as save on medical bills long-term so that they can afford higher acuities of care as they age. And Sean Kelly touched a bit on Vitalize 360 during our conversation. Great. And then uh, you also spoke with Sean about Enso Village, which is a new development that Kendall is working on in California that I think is really interesting. Um, It'll probably be helpful if you can provide just a little bit more background about that project. I'd be glad to. Enso Village is this ambitious $300 million CCRC in Hillsburg, California that Kendall is developing with Greenbrier Development and the San Francisco Zen Center, which makes sort of a unique partner in creating senior living. But Sydney, the Zen Center is actually the driving force behind this project. The community is going to be a mix of independent living, assisted living, and memory care. And the Zen Center, which became noted for its hospice services during the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s, will provide hospice services and incorporate principles of Zoto Sen Buddhism into a senior living environment. Uh, now, when approached initially by you know, the Zen Center about partnering on the project, Kendall was initially fascinated about incorporating the Zen principles into senior living, and Sean indicated that they may mix some of those practices into its Vitalize 360 platform once Enso Village is operational. Terrific. Yeah, I think that obviously sounds like a really interesting concept for a CCRC or a life plan community, and it brings together a lot of these trends we're seeing within CCRCs, but also across the industry, like wellness, some creative partnerships, involvement of hospice, and and some other facets as well. So once again, thanks to the sponsor of Transform, Point Click Care. And now here's Chuck's interview with Sean Kelly, President and CEO of the Kendall Corporation. Sean Kelly, welcome to Transform. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We have a lot of questions to ask. And I think the first one I want to ask is that Meeting the demand for affordable and middle market senior housing has, in the past couple of months, it's become the dominant topic of note in 2019 for the senior living industry. Where do you see Kendall driving the discussion for itself and for the industry as a whole? Sure. First, I want to say I'm grateful to Nick and Bob Kramer and his crowd for having kind of shined a light on this. It's been an issue that's been out there for a long time. and to actually now be putting, you know, numbers around it and having the PR, I'm going to say buzz that has occurred is really calling folks' attention to a part of the sector that needs to be looked at. 
I think as not-for-profits in particular, if we are indeed mission-based, we've got to be thinking about service to the whole. And as has been said, there is a gigantic chasm here between, you know, what it is that folks can get through Medicaid and what it is that the, if you will, upper echelon are finding themselves having access to in the ways of the traditional CCRCs and life plan communities. At Kendall, we are not a provider that has a stockpile of affordable housing units available to us. We have looked at in different marketplaces the possibility of developing affordable housing. But more recently, what we've been doing, I'm going to say more recently, particularly in the last two and a half years, we've been looking really, really closely at the kinds of services and programs that people are getting access to inside of our communities. And we're recognizing that those services and programs are helping our residents and our members, in the case of Kendall at Home, enjoy a quality of life and, by definition, enable them to access the healthcare system at different points than the wider world might. And we're observing that how it is that they age is a little bit different than the kinds of folks that don't find themselves in our communities very, very generally. Why is that, we ask, and we think why that is, is because of the particular focus on care coordination, the access to socialization and friends, the ability to be engaged and really asked to think about what it is that's really important to you, and the possibility of planning accordingly what it is that you as a resident or a member of any kind of a Kendall organization might decide to do, not just to sustain or improve your own quality of life, but also to keep your health. And we're noticing that those things that people are doing to stay in good health can be made available to folks that don't necessarily have to pay an entrance fee and a monthly service fee to live as a part of Kendall, as it's been traditionally known. Okay, so you mentioned Kendall at home, and I think home health partnerships is one way that CCRC operators are looking at helping with the affordability component and to allow seniors to age longer within their own homes. So I think, you know, the question I want to ask is, can or should, you know, CCRCs partner more with health systems in general or larger health systems to help with population health efforts? Yeah. So I don't want to say that they should, but they sure could. And in our case, that's been our move. I think you may know, Chuck, that over the years, Kendall's have had a tradition for being in partnership with lots of different organizations, including specifically colleges and universities. And in several cases, those colleges and universities come along with health systems or medical schools, in the case of Dartmouth-Hitchcock, that have enabled us to be pretty, I want to say, intentional about how we bring people in, whether it's you know internships through nurses or CNAs or practitioners or doctors or geriatricians. We're also now seeing that through these partnerships that we're running primary care practices within our Kendall communities. So I'll make an observation that we've got these communities, we have care coordination, we have service, we have health and wellness that's available, and we now have primary care practices that are available within our communities. Why wouldn't we take that sort of collection of services and programs that we know have a tremendous impact on the individual and on the larger population and package them in ways that they can be made available to the, quote, general public, meaning people that don't necessarily have to move into a Kendall. 
I happen to believe, we happen to believe that Kendall at Home is the perfect bridge between all of those services and programs that can be available in a bricks and mortar community and can now be made available to the wider community outside of Kendall. So we're seeing right now existing Kendalls that are what I would call land-based life plan communities or CCRCs that are adding to or contemplating adding Kendall at Home to their array of services that are available to people, not just the people that are living with them, but the people that are on wait lists, the people that are expressing interest in being a part of Kendall, and to people that may have no intention of moving into a Kendall bricks and mortar community, but want to enjoy the quality of the community, the virtual community that is Kendall, and also enjoy the services and programs that can be available through Kendall and their partnerships that would access them to different healthcare organizations and providers. Ziegler Investment Banking a couple months ago identified consolidation as a trend happening within the CCRC space. How is Kendall viewing the idea of consolidation and affiliation? I think Kendall, you may know Chuck and others may know, Kendall is a really unique, fairly unique animal within our sector. You know, yes, we are, you know, among the larger not-for-profit organizations that is, quote, sort of multi-site or spread around the country a little bit. But within the Kendall structure, we don't have as top-down an approach to governance, management, and even systems, although we're getting better in each one of those areas in terms of being consistent and consolidating ourselves. So what we are seeing first as it relates to consolidation is a move within Kendall to become much more, again, intentional about how we leverage our scale in ways that enable us to be more consistent and even centralized in some of the approaches to things like healthcare benefits, like potentially services and programs that would be delivered through Kendall at Home to the larger Kendall audience, like how it is that we track occupancy and the wants and needs of our individual residents, how we track satisfaction and engagement across the larger organization. We're doing more and more together as one Kendall, even though we are a collection of 15 or so organizations under an umbrella that we say is is more of a federated model than a typical corporate uh, sort of top-down, streamlined, structured model. With that said, with Kendall sort of looking in on itself and saying, okay, we intend to be more aware of and therefore leverage the scale of our larger organization. And oh, by the way, reputation has a lot to do with the leverage that we can exercise. In doing that, other organizations that are single sites and unto unto themselves are noticing that the value of becoming a part of Kendall is indeed coming at them in two ways. Number one, an increased ability to leverage scale in what I'll call the more sort of normal ways related to the business dynamic, and also ability to leverage scale as it relates to a a reputation where Kendall has, I think that the market is generally aware that Kendall has a reputation for being fairly progressive, for being very engaged with its residents and employees in ways that encourage and if not uh, stimulate and in fact encourage sort of cross-germination between residents and staff. There is a sense of, of sort of shared leadership across Kendall that folks are finding really important. And we're experiencing a lot of interest from other organizations around the country who want that sort of streamlined ability that ability to be a part of something bigger. They understand that there's a need to do that. There's a degree of sophistication that comes with being a part of something bigger like a Kendall. But there's also a great desire for folks to feel 
I don't want to say autonomous, but they want to be able to maintain the individual character of their organization and the people within it. We think so they want to have some agency as the direction of the, you know, of the community itself, then, is what you're saying. You got it. Significant agency, actually. And our goal is to be able to provide for a balance between the two. You know, use your word, call it, you know, a balance between the agency and the scale. And we happen to think that that's a really neat way to do it. We also happen to think that that's a have to in this day and age. Because okay. back to your comment about Ziegler, Chuck, just very quickly, the things that are most important, which have to do with the people that are delivering the services, if you will, on the front lines, are more scarce. The best among them are ever more scarce, and they are and will continue to be more and more expensive. So we, if only for that reason, we have to find ways to consolidate, be as efficient as possible so that we can free up the resources to pay for the most sacred and honorable resources available to us to deliver the hands-on services that are going to be required for our residents forever. I love technology, but it's going to be a hands-on, it's a hands-on practice at the end of the day. I want to go back to the subject of affordability, just, you know, just for a moment. You've got new brands coming out, say like Avamir Family of Companies, Ovation line of these micro CCRC projects that have no skilled nursing whatsoever within the community. And skilled nursing, as we look at the long-term care market, is sort of the redheaded stepchild of the market right now. They're dealing with a lot of fluctuations, a lot of operational issues, and especially with cost issues. What does the future hold for skilled nursing within the CCRC model itself and at Kendall and its affiliates? You call it the redheaded stepchild. I think you know that's probably true for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, the regulatory environment in which bona fide skilled nursing units have to exist is onerous and really, really expensive. And being onerous and expensive is not necessarily problematic onto itself. However, some of the expense that relates to meeting regulations that don't necessarily correlate to quality of care makes life that is difficult even more difficult when it comes to being able to afford operations or or when it comes to the market being able to afford what it is that wants to be provided in a skilled nursing environment. I know across Kendall and I know across the country, speaking of scale, if you're not running, you know, several hundred beds sort of purpose built and don't have the built-in efficiencies and back of the house systems to be able to deliver skilled nursing on a large, large scale basis, you are really, really struggling or you're shutting down or you're selling off or you're converting beds to something other than skilled nursing. I don't think that trend is going to stop. It makes sense to me that it's going to, that it exists and it's going to continue. For Kendall, we have three organizations within Kendall that have, I'll call more than the usual number of skilled nursing beds. Two of them are mission-driven organizations that intend to serve poor populations in the individual communities in which they exist. And I think we will hold on to a number of those beds so long as the Medicaid rules remain as they are and enable us to access that end of the market in ways that we might not be able to on a private pay basis. And in the other case, we made a commitment down at Kendall at Lexington to the wider community of Lexington to hold a certain number of, quote, low-income skilled nursing beds that could be available for folks that wouldn't pass through Kendall at Lexington, the life plan community, but would be able to experience Kendall at Lexington by 
direct admission into a skilled nursing home that, again, would also be subsidized by, uh, is also subsidized to some extent by Medicaid. At the other Kendall's, we've been relicensing beds. We've been transitioning beds from skilled nursing to assisted living. We've been transitioning skilled nursing beds from skilled nursing to different styles of memory care. We've been, you know, finding ourselves able to utilize resources when we change the nature of the licensure of those beds. We can hire more hands-on staff. We can focus in on quality measures and, and achieve them more readily when we're able to do that in an environment where we're not spending significant hours and significant dollars on oversight and meeting regulatory requirements that, again, don't equate to quality of care. That trend will continue. And so Village that I think was recently written up in your publication, which is a project that is sort of under the guise of Kendall at Sonoma out in Hillsburg, California, is not being designed with any nursing home beds. Yeah, I believe they're going to have a skilled nursing partnership, I believe. Yeah, there will be a partnership that, you know, we will want to make, you know, create opportunities for short-term rehab and physical therapy and things of that nature. But even those things can be provided in, you know, they don't have to be provided in skilled nursing space anymore and often aren't. So, yes, we will want to have a partnership. Yes, we'll want to have a place where folks can continue to sort of age within the organization should they wish. But more than likely, even with a partnership with a, quote, skilled nursing home down the road in Healdsburg, potentially, you know, it's much more likely that folks are going to age in place inside their independent living units. We'll be able to provide for that by way of technology, by way of the relationships with the local healthcare systems, by way of telehealth. I mean, there are all numbers of ways to do that. We're going to want to make sure that what we build are spaces that are adaptable, adaptable to the changing needs of the individual. So rather than moving the individual from one part of the campus to another, you know, I don't think it will shock anybody's conscience when we move a wall or expand a doorway or add grab bars or, you know, do the things that we talked about doing in universal design 15 years ago. Those are actually the things that are being sort of purpose-built into the designs of not just an Enso village, but all of the communities that across Kendall and across the country that are paying attention to what it is that the world is asking for. And they're asking to be able to have access to a continuum without moving. And that used to mean without moving from one building to another. Now it means without moving out of an independent living unit. And you did mention all the ways that you're hoping that, you know, you believe technology will impact the space itself. Where else do you see technology revolutionizing the CCRC model? I think that's a really, so where else besides, you know, the... Where else besides home health partnerships? Yeah. Gee whiz. I think, number one, I think particularly, and this gets back a little bit to consolidation. I Just first, let me say, you know, it's already impacting us a ton. And, you know, across Kendall, whether it's connectivity across our organizations from one resident to another, or one resident group from to another with at, at the Admiral at the Lake to Kendall at Hanover to Kendall Crosslands in Philadelphia. It's really fascinating to me that everyone is in touch. It is also fascinating to me, and I think really, really important that we as Kendall and we as a sector continue to be able to make people or to allow for people to have the same kinds of experiences within our organization as they had before they arrived with us. 
that means we'd better get with the program when it comes to accessibility for you know all forms of media, all forms of connectivity to hospital systems and health organizations, when it comes to making reservations at local restaurants, when it comes to having almost like you would have at a college, you know, a single credit card that doesn't just give you access to the programs inside the four walls of your campus, if that's where you are, but also within the larger community so that we can be sort of move, move about the space. Think about the space that we move in, not as a consolidated bricks and mortar community like we used to think about in the old days, but the greater community that includes culture and the restaurants and the volunteer opportunities in the wider communities that surround us. I think the one of the biggest changes that's going to come to us through technology in terms of thinking about the market is I, I just I think our competition is everywhere. I think technology enables people to explore so much more broadly than the ways in which they used to explore. You know, we used to look at these little market areas as you know, a certain number of zip codes within a 10 or 12 mile radius of a particular location. And we're noticing right now, like Enso Village, as an example, we've got people from all over the world that are aware of and signing up for Enso Village. And yes, that's a very unique opportunity. It's got a very special sort of character that's built into what it is that it will be. But we notice that all across Kendall. We have people that I know a couple that moved into Kendall Crosslands communities, which is right there in Kennett Square where my office is. And they explored over 100 communities all over the country, and they were looking for a particular cultural connection. And how were they able to do that? Well, first of all, they did 90% of the research on the internet, which is, you know, at this point, rudimentary technology, but it's technology that gives people access to what's all around them. And all around them is indeed everywhere. The other thing, one last thing about technology that I think is changing the game for all of us, the, you know, with that same expansion of the market, there is a much higher degree of transparency that the world is expecting. There is capability to be aware of, you know, almost on a moment by moment basis, issues related to satisfaction, you know, take Yelp as an example. We have that in our sector now. We have to be aware of that. And I think it keeps us on our toes, but it also creates a little bit of tension around, you know, where does the resident and staff relationship sort of begin and end? Or how big is that gray area? Because if somebody that is a resident of a Kendall community can go on a computer and read a review of how things are going in the dining room or in the nursing center or in the health and fitness center from, you know, somebody that visited from, you know, Des Moines, that creates a, a little bit of tension because our residents are just as interested in making sure that we're doing the right thing and furthermore that our reputation is intact. You know, I think heightened engagement by, because of the transparency through technology is going to continue to be a really big deal as well. You brought up Enzo Village a couple of times already, and I recently toured the Admiral at the Lake. I think those are two notable Kindle affiliates that are emphasizing wellness in their strategic plans. And I think across the entire Kendall affiliate portfolio, there's been a recent refocus on, I believe, what uh, Nadia Geigler, the CEO at the Admiral, calls whole body wellness. How is Kendall and its other affiliates approaching whole body wellness in general, since there's been this major shift in healthcare treatment itself from acute care to prevention and wellness? Here, here. So at Kendall, 
I was so excited. I was at Kendall at Granville last week where I met some of the Admiral team that was attending a retreat and a training for something that we call Vitalize 360. Vitalize 360 is a program. It's a program that encourages, stimulates person-centered health and well-being through a, you know, a, a pretty specific process and then ties back to a data repository that allows us to not only understand what outcomes are among people that are participating in our program, but what might drive those outcomes. And we're in partnership with that program with Hebrew Senior Life. And when I think about the Admiral and you know the whole body wellness approach and sort of what's different for Kendall and for the world right now, I immediately as obviously think about Vitalize 360 and, and here's why. At Kendall, and we've talked for a long time about the importance of every person and and the importance in understanding that with aging comes, you know, there's a certain honesty that you really want to have around the inevitable declines that come along with aging. But there's also a certain inspiration that comes from knowing what's possible at the same time as you get older. What are you more aware of? What other opportunities are out there for you to engage, to learn, to grow, to find joy, to be of service, et cetera? And through Vitalize 360, combined with that sort of sensibility around whole body, quote, whole body wellness, we are very, very intentionally going to Kendall people and first asking a very simple question, what's important to you? And using that question as sort of an anchor to begin a whole other series of discussions that create a relationship that allow individuals to either affirm or in some cases discover what's most important to them. And with those discoveries come ideas that relate to setting goals. And with the setting of those goals, we find that folks are very, very much inclined to begin to understand, well, what can I do in my own way that relates to my own whole body wellness program that can enable me to do things that myself or others might never not have imagined that I could do. So, you know, our sort of approach to health and well-being, and as you describe, whole body wellness really does start anew with every person being honored enough to to be asked first what's important to them. So how does that relate to a whole bunch of other things? Well, we've got to have better relationships with our colleges and universities. We have to have more state-of-the-art centers for health and well-being. We have to have people that are trained and encouraged to have those conversations and build those relationships with people so that they can come into the space and be not just comfortable, but excited to have the discussion about what's important to them. And we darn sure better be ready to continue to build out additional relationships so that folks who may need to, or who who may desire, let's say, to develop a second career. We're finding ourselves having to have much deeper relationships with the larger parts of colleges and universities above and beyond, you know, checking in and auditing classes once in a while. We're finding that we're being asked to develop or co-develop with partners that are colleges and universities curriculum to allow our residents to discover what it is that they want to do next, as opposed to just checking in and taking a class, which is awesome. But there is this sense of working towards something that we're finding people wanting to do more than we've seen before. Dining or changes in dining within the senior living space is also an ongoing trend, especially as 
more boomers are starting to enter at least the active adult space, although they're not quite, they may not be quite ready for the CCRC model right now. What is Kendall and its affiliates doing to balance that expected resident demand from the boomers that are going to enter the space with cost and space considerations? Yeah. Back to technology, number one, we can't assume that we're going to be serving everybody, you know, every person 30 meals a month and, you know, therefore staffing and purchasing food accordingly. We're going to have to be a whole bunch more nimble. We're going to have to be in relationship with our residents well enough so that we can plan effectively. And the reality is, number one, even if we have the greatest, you know, greatest gourmet style experience available, folks will expect to be out and about whether it's at a sister community or the restaurant down the block or a special opportunity in, you know, in the city, if you will, if that's where the location is, you know, diversity will rule and authenticity and quality will also rule. So we are seeing, you know, some of our dining venues get a little bit smaller, but we're having more of them. We are seeing that our dining venues are needing to be designed and managed to the standard of, if you will, a gourmet commercial style restaurant. And we're fortunate to have someone like Ben Butler, who is our vice president for dining services out of the corporate office, who was able to teach, you know, the ways in which dining within a life plan community or a CCRC can be adapted to a format that doesn't just look and feel slightly like the same thing that you or I might walk into when we choose to go out to a restaurant on a Friday night but actually be that space. So, you know, we've been asked to kind of up the game a little bit. I know at Kendall, we have, you know, I, I was just down at Collington in Mitchellville, Maryland, near Washington, D.C. also last week, and they have a new restaurant there called The Landing. And it would remind you of, you know, an open-air bistro when you walked in. And it would remind you of that, not just, not because it said bistro on it, which is kind of how we used to do it, but the vibration in the space, the way that it looked, the type of food, the kind of the showcase kitchen that is accessible to the eye from almost every location where you would sit, the the lighting, the booths, you know, the whole nine yards. And then the quality of the food is, again, exactly what I would hope for and expect when I went to a fine restaurant in or around Philadelphia. So that is not easy. I think the hardest part about that is, frankly, going to be managing an inconsistent flow for our sector. I think, again, you mentioned consolidation a few minutes ago. You know, another reason for consolidation in our sector is it's not cheap to have the expertise to be able to continue to evolve dining services programs. Because here's the other thing, Chuck, the moment that we get one right, like we did in the example I just offered down at uh, Collington, in a year and a half, that's going to need to change. And it's going to need to change because the world is going to be noticing other things back to technology because we can see everything around us and is going to be wanting something different. And we'd better have the chops to be able to provide for that in ways that are sustainable. So there's a lot more to be said. One other thing, by the way, I was also at Kendall at Granville a little bit ago, and there's a huge move there to develop kind of an authentic style pub on their campus. You know, in some places, you know, that would have been anathema. You know, the idea of having a bar on a campus where older people are living would have been ridiculous. Now we have, you know, the Jimmy Buffett villages and we have all numbers of other things that are happening all around us and we have accessibility to the communities around us. We'd better have something 
in our locations that allow for people to have the experiences that they want. Well, you just mentioned Jimmy Buffett and Margaritaville, and I think Del Webb's expanding, and active adult is becoming a bigger part of interest for senior housing investors. Do you see the active adult model having a trickle-down effect as far as influence over the other care acuities, and particularly with the, within the CCRC model? I do. I do. And I, you know, I, I think connectivity for us to the active adult model goes back to Kendall at home. The other thing that I see that is unique, you know, obviously Margaritaville has a, has a particular personality associated with it, a particular culture that people expect to experience when they walk in there. Uh, it also comes with a particular scale and that's great. And to the extent that it's authentic and reliable over a long period of time, people are going to continue to seek it out. I have no doubt. I think places like Kendall and other organizations like ours, it is just as important to understand that we don't just have service offerings and healthcare and places to live and geography and beautiful buildings and wonderful people. We have a cultural vibration that attracts people. And I think between that cultural vibration and the possibility for folks to age in place with a degree of dignity and self-determination that is ever more important in this era that we're in right now, that will be our link. You know, it wouldn't shock my conscience one little bit, and it might sound crazy, to walk into or drive into, you know, a Margaritaville campus someday and see a Kendall at home shingle hanging out of an office of a uh, storefront as we're driving in. I think that extra piece, and Active Adult has been at this for a long time, that extra piece could be added there and really be a part of the answer to the middle market question that you raised a little bit ago. Well, that sounds very dreamy. Uh, <laughs> now, I have one final question, and it's going to go, it, it'll link back to the skilled nursing question I asked a few minutes ago. Hospice. What future do you see hospice playing in the CCRC model, given that it also is subject to regulatory pressures? Bruce, I know in our culture, and I think in most life plan communities and most organizations like ours, there is a sort of an embrace of the notion of hospice that is different from the general population. And, and I think that comes from the fact that we, you know, we have always had people that are coming to us with, um, with a mind for planning and a certain honesty about, you know, the progression of life and the inevitability of death. And I think a higher degree of comfort with death and dying than you might see in the, in what I'll call the more normal or the general population that surrounds us. I think that understanding is increasing and meaning increasing outside of the quote life plan and CCRC communities. And I think it's a generational change in sensibilities toward that issue. And I think therefore that the potential for a market or for the growth in the market of hospice is just as enormous as the growth in the markets for CCRCs and active, active adult, et cetera. What I also know, and I'm sure you do better than I, is that it is a brutal, brutally competitive marketplace out there. And, you know, much like I spoke a couple of minutes ago about the importance of culture, I think there are, you know, approaches to, to hospice and death and dying that are informed by and, and even improved by an understood sort of cultural approach, a person-centered approach, if you will, 
to hospice. And I think there's room for Kendall to play in that space if we can adapt a hospice program specifically to our values, our practices, our culture. But that is not an area of extreme focus right now, although we have two operations, one in Ohio and one in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, that are specifically building hospice programs with the idea that we might take them to the wider Kendall community and even to the wider the wider world. I don't believe, as much as I feel like it's just the next level of care, some people will say, and I hear that, I think it is such a it is so personal. It is it is so delicate. It is so, in my opinion, reliant on a culture that people can really adhere to in order to produce the greatest experience possible, that as many providers can do it as well as there are out there right now. So my expectation is that there may be some consolidation in the hospice practice over some period of time if there isn't if it isn't happening already. Already, and I also think that we'll be wise to think about hospice partners out there that align with the healthcare organizations, so that we can have an opportunity not just to expand our market, but to have the doctors and the nurses and so forth that are immediately available to us above and beyond the direct caregivers that are the, the if you will, the hospice professionals. Okay, well then, I think that covers everything that I had. Sean Kelly, Kendall, you know, Kendall Fam uh, Corporation. Thank you very much for. For, uh, joining us on the podcast. Okay, Chuck. Thanks for listening. And I'm, I'm sorry for yakking along so much, but I appreciate the chance to talk about this stuff for sure. And that's why we're here. Thank you very much. Excellent. Be well. Take that does it for this episode of Transform. I'd like to give another shout out to our sponsor, Point Click Care. Until next time, I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.